good afternoon, everybody. Today I've got a special treat for you. We're getting an opportunity to speak with Dr. Brett Steenbarger. He is the author of many books, including but not limited to The Psychology of Trading, Enhancing Trading Performance, The Daily Trading Coach, and I believe his most recent book is Trading Psychology 2.0, which I have already read a few times. And I've got to say it has a ton of phenomenal content, and I highly recommend all his books, especially that one. And I'm excited to get into this discussion here today. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Steenberger. Well, thank you very much, John, and, and thank, uh, thank you to all of you for being part of today's session. We're going to do something interesting today. We're going to focus in a very practical way on the psychological practices of successful traders. Uh, one very nice thing that has happened to me is that as a result of going part-time in 2014, uh, I had been full-time at uh, Tudor Investment uh, Corporation in Greenwich, Connecticut. I went to a part-time basis and got to work with many different kinds of funds and money management organizations. And as a result of that, I had an opportunity to witness across markets, across trading strategies, what some of the best traders do, and specifically what some of the best traders do psychologically. And so that's some of the uh, information I'd like to share with you quickly. But I say quickly because I would like to move promptly into group coaching mode. In other words, I'm going to be asking you to bring up the psychological challenges and issues that you face as a trader. And for every challenge that you face and bring up to me, I'll provide you with some coaching, with some response and a direction uh, that might be promising for you to follow. And many uh, of the ideas that I'll be suggesting will fit into one of the five categories that you see in front of you in the outline. So let me go through those very quickly, and then we can move forward with the group coaching. So the best psychological strategies of best traders, we start out with strategies for enhancing our well-being. What does that mean? It means maximizing our positive emotional experience. There's a whole subfield in psychology called positive psychology quite a bit of research and practice uh, recently, last decade, in this area. And what that research suggests is that people are most productive, they are most creative, and they're the healthiest, physically and emotionally, if they maximize their positive experience. And that experience extends to four dimensions. The first is happiness how much fun we have. The second is fulfillment, how much meaning and purpose we experience in life. The third dimension is energy, which means how energized we are physically as well as uh, cognitively. And the fourth area is connectedness, how much closeness do we feel in our lives with others. And it turns out that all four dimensions are very important to our overall well-being. And the traders I work with who are successful very consciously maximize their well-being on these four dimensions. 
They do so very often in a planned manner, just like they might plan trades. So for instance, they will set their calendar, and some of the first things they put into their calendar are not just the to-do items for work, but the activities that they want to schedule that will bring them happiness, fulfillment, energy, and connection to others. So they'll schedule time at the gym. They'll schedule time to do fun, unique things in, a, in relationships. They'll schedule time for their spiritual needs. All of those things are part of enhancing well-being in a purposeful manner. The second strategy includes strategies for increasing our focus, our concentration, and our executive decision-making. Meditation is a commonly used strategy uh, for this, where we get ourselves through deep breathing and concentration into a calm and focused state, and use that state to increase our mindfulness, our awareness of ourselves, and our awareness of the situations that we find ourselves in. Biofeedback, I sometimes refer to as meditation while keeping score. The biofeedback devices attach to our bodies and measure our body's level of arousal. Some of the more popular units measure what's called heart rate variability. There's a company called HeartMath that makes these, another company called Wild Divine. And these measure directly our ability to sustain being in the zone. When we are in the zone, when we are truly focused and calm, that shows up in our body's level of arousal. And so when we have biofeedback devices, we literally can keep score about being in the zone and train ourselves to stay more and more and more in that high-performance zone. Now, why is that helpful? Because we can use the ability to sustain focus as a way of interrupting our problem patterns. Most of the problems we face in trading and most of the problems we face in life are patterned. In other words, they recur again and again, and many times outside of our direct control. So what we want to do is interrupt those problem patterns. When we find, for instance, that we get frustrated and then trade reactively, we want to interrupt that problem pattern by recognizing that we're getting frustrated at the time so that we can rechannel our focus. Meditation and the strategies we learn through biofeedback are a great way of interrupting those problem patterns and gaining control over them. The third group are strategies for reprogramming our responses. Literally, we're reprogramming our emotional responses to situations. And the way we do that is through a set of techniques known as exposure methods. So what we're doing in exposure uh, uh, methods is we are combining visualization with our meditation techniques. So, for example, imagine vividly visualizing trading situations that normally would be upsetting to you or frustrating to you. You're visualizing those in great detail. You're seeing them. You're feeling them. 
while you keep yourself very calm and focused. So you're doing the meditation activities while you're visualizing stressful situations. What that accomplishes is a kind of stimulus response learning. You are literally learning the, a new connection between calm focus and these stressful scenarios. So that eventually you are able to take some deep breaths and keep yourself calm and focused when those stressful situations happen in real life. It turns out that exposure methods are the most successful methods for dealing with many anxiety problems. Also included in reprogramming our responses would be self-hypnosis, where we teach ourselves to bring ourselves into a highly focused trance state, give ourselves some suggestions that allow us to respond to old situations in new ways. The fourth set of techniques are strategies for changing our thought patterns. Many times our greatest enemy psychologically is how we think. In our heads we carry on a toxic conversation that ends up being uh, very hard on us and ends up being very distracting to performance. There are many cognitive techniques for monitoring our thinking, in other words, for thinking about our thinking, so that we become an observer to how we are talking to ourselves. The key here is to view your internal dialogue, to view your thought processes as actual conversations that we have with ourselves. Step back from those and ask yourself, is this really a constructive conversation? Is this a conversation I would have with someone else that I cared about or that I would want someone else to have with me? Many times we use what's called a cognitive journal as a tool for thinking about our thinking, identifying some of our negative thought patterns, and challenging those, and thereby restructuring those. By interrupting negative thought patterns and introducing new constructive ones, we can build habit patterns, positive habit patterns, of thinking, of dealing with ourselves. And finally, in the fifth category, I put down strategies for increasing our consistency. And what I mean by consistency is our ability to do the right thing day after day after day after day. Anyone can make a change for a day or two, but often relapse is the norm. The key is to build positive habit patterns. One of the ways I found to be particularly powerful for doing this is using uh, the calendar, using the calendar app on our phones as a way of tracking what we want to be doing and how well we're doing it and how we want to improve doing it. I recently wrote an article for Forbes online on this very topic. So what you're doing is instead of just putting the to-do items in your calendar, you're actually grading yourself on how well you've done those items and then what steps you want to take to make improvements. So now you're turning the calendar into a device for practical learning or what's called in the research literature deliberate practice. And by doing that day after day after day, you begin to 
internalize that process, which helps make us more consistent. Many, many, many of the psychological challenges that I face as a trader in the stock index futures and that you face in your trading fit into one of these categories in terms of strategies that can help you uh, make improvements. So now what I'd like to do with the generous moderation of John and team is have participants bring up the challenges, the issues that they face as traders, and let's see if we can tailor these ideas into specific strategies that can help you. That sounds awesome, and, uh, and thanks. Those are all great points that you brought up there. So uh, let's see. I have a few questions already, and awesome. I'll hand them out to you. And the first one is, in your book, The Daily Trading Coach, you had a great saying. It said, you control how you trade, and the market controls when and how much you're paid. This makes great sense intellectually. What I would like to know is how do you internalize it? Also, it is very easy to become euphoric or overconfident after a series of winning trades. How do you tell the difference between that state and true confidence as a master trader? Yes, great, great questions. And, and you know, the question about internalizing, we internalize anything through repetition. What we don't want to do is change our behavior or sustain good behavior through quote-unquote motivation. If you have to motivate your, yourself to do something, it's not truly part of you. So if you think about the things you do routinely, the example I give is that I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I wash up, I go downstairs, I have four rescue cats that I feed and I give them water and I hug them, and I do that every single day that I'm at home, in the morning, very early, when I'm checking how Europe is behaving. And no one has to motivate me to do that. That's automatic. That's how I start my day. It's how I like to start my day. It's become a part of me. And so it, it's a part of me because it means something to me, and it's a part of me because of repetition. And so what we want to do is define the activities that matter to us and create routines around them because the routines will give us that repetition that enables us to internalize best practices, the things that we should be doing. The question about euphoria is a really good one, and it's something I emphasized in my webinar earlier this week, that I truly view, when I work with traders, periods of winning trades as every bit as much of an emotional threat as periods of losing trades. That it's very easy for confidence to morph into overconfidence. One of the exercises I sometimes have traders do is take a look at their trading results when they have traded with largest size, when they have taken the most risk. And many, many times traders are least profitable when they've taken their biggest positions which is very interesting. You would normally think that they would take their largest positions when they have the most conviction. But in fact, those times when they have high conviction are often times when conviction has become overconfidence. And so what we do as a strategy 
uh, is akin to uh, what I mentioned in that point number two about meditation, biofeedback, and interrupting problem patterns, is get yourself into a very quiet, focused state and do a visualization exercise, an imagination exercise, in which you imagine that you are totally flat in your P&L. Maybe it's January 1 and you've just started the year and you're totally flat in your P&L. Is this a position that you would want to take? Is this the sizing of the position that you would want to sustain? And so what you're doing is you're going flat in your mind. You're looking at the trade through neutral eyes rather than through the recency bias of your latest P&L. And I find that that calm focus and that looking at trades in an emotionally neutral way is very helpful in counteracting overconfidence. Right. You know, another thing I was thinking too, uh, Doctor, is that maybe even possibly visualizing yourself taking a loss so that you understand and it maybe takes away some of that recency bias to just remind yourself that this is actually possible that you may lose before you go in and increase your position size by five times. You need to maybe imagine what it might be like to lose that money and uh, yes. maybe yeah. give yourself or, a little Or to actually there. visualize your most recent loss. I think that's a very good point that you bring up, John, that, that if you visual – one of the nice things about uh, big losses is that they sometimes uh, burn a, uh, an impression in our brains and – we say to ourselves, you know, never again, I, I don't want to go back there, I don't want to feel like that. And so if you can remind yourself of the last time you were overconfident uh, and visualize that, that can be a useful break on overconfidence as well. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And uh, let's see, all right, so moving on here, uh, what, do, what do the best traders do while they're in a position? That's a pretty broad question, but uh, you know, maybe you have something for that. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. What do they do when they're in a position? I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't sit there and stare at the screens all day. In fact, that's one of the best predictors of success is what traders do uh, during the trading day other than trading. And, and you know, when a trader has a position on, you know, certainly they are monitoring what's going on in the markets, but unless they are extremely short-term, they have an idea in advance of where they might want to take profits. They have an idea in advance of where they might and why they might get out of the trade. And so they don't need to be glued to the screen and they can use their time to conduct research, to start generating their next set of ideas. If they're part of a team, they work on their team process. But they are working on their trading while their trades are working themselves out. And that ends up being very, very helpful. They always have a research and development pipeline where they are building new ideas, new methods. They're doing new analyses, and that creates the next set of opportunities for them. Right. I just want to make a, a really interesting point that struck me as funny here is you mainly deal with people who are day traders and you're telling them not to be you know, continuously focused on the screen. Most of our traders are in a trade a month at a time and I have the same problem. They'll sit there all day and watch the screen. It's like, wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I should clarify, you know, I started my career at King Street in Chicago and did work with traders, and their average holding time was a matter of minutes, and so obviously they had to be uh, attentive to the screen, but what happened for them was that there were certain times of day that were particularly slow, and that's when they would step back from the trading and engage in other kinds of activities. My, most of my work currently is with hedge fund portfolio managers who are certainly not day trading, and so they are putting on positions based on macroeconomic trends in, in various financial markets globally. And it, it's more like the trading that you described, John, where they might hold on to a position for a week, two weeks, a month, two months. And so it's particularly unproductive to just get caught up in the tick-by-tick -tick activity. Great, right. Those, those are great points. Let's see. Uh, we want to go to the next question? Yeah. What's the next question? All right, it says, while we're in a stage of learning, we're learning through the experience of others. That helps us establish a level of confidence and connection through others. However, how can we get to a level of independence in our decision-making and trading? As we're often told, we shouldn't follow other people's trades. Gosh, that's a really interesting question. You know, back in the day, I'm going to be dating myself quite a bit, but... Uh, you know, back when I was in school, I was part of a group that organized around a novelist philosopher, Ayn Rand. And Ms. Rand used to chide the group to uh, check your premises. That sometimes when something seems like a dilemma, it's because the uh, premise that you're starting with is faulty. And I think here uh, it might be worthwhile to check our premises that the idea of success in trading being a function of independence. I don't quite buy that. Uh, and the reason I don't buy it is because I work with very many successful teams. And part of the team's success is that the members are always discussing positions and ideas, always debating with each other, challenging each other, always fertilizing each other with new research, new perspectives. And so it's, it's not being dependent on others, and it's not being independent of others. It's truly being interdependent. And for many traders, that ends up being useful because they learn well. They process information well, I should say, by interacting with others. They process information interpersonally. They process information interactively. And that is part of their growth as a trader. So I don't quite buy that quote-unquote independence is the goal for all traders. There may be individual traders for whom that's true, but many, many traders benefit by making trading a team sport, either in terms of real teams or virtual teams. Yeah, I, I agree that the group setting is, is, is very good. I think what he may have been referring to is actually maybe taking trade alerts from somebody instead of rather than doing things on your own, rather than working as a cohesive group. Yes, and, and that point is very well taken. And, and, you know, whenever you see a successful trader, you see evidence of independent thinking. And I've never seen a successful trader who was a consensus trader. And so... Talking with others is very helpful as far as gathering information, what I call the analysis part of generating ideas. But 
beyond analysis, there has to be synthesis. There has to be a putting together of the information into distinctive views, uh, good risk-reward propositions. And, and that's where individuality does make sense. And so, yes, in terms of intellectual independence, I would agree with our questioner that that is absolutely essential. There's no way to build our confidence as traders if we're always leaning on the ideas of others. Yeah, yeah I agree 100%. And, and I think the way to, to actually get out and get independent is just by practice and through experience. Right. Yes, yes. And that's why I find that mentoring is so helpful to a trader's development, the, what I call the apprenticeship process, learning from experienced people in markets, and many times that's uh, done formally within teams at the funds where I work. It's a way of internalizing successful ways of doing things and eventually making them one's own. Right, and then from there you, you go ahead and you come up with your own ideas. Because ultimately trading, right, is going to be, your ability to be a great trader is going to be directly linked to your ability to make good decisions on your own when it comes down to pull, pushing that button and, and buying and selling trades. So it's very important to get that down. Right, right. No, I, I completely agree. And many times the best way to develop your own style is to have multiple mentors, multiple apprenticeships, and really internalize the best from many different people. Right, right, excellent. All right, so next question. What do you do when greed and fear rise to a level that creates haste and inaccuracy in trying to execute trades, and for example, overlooking important parameters? Are there short-term techniques to instantly control ourselves when this happens? Yes, and so, yeah, I would say that few of us quote-unquote, instantly control ourselves, but many of us can instantly interrupt uh, those fear and greed responses. And so if we go back to the meditation, the biofeedback, we can literally learn to get ourselves very calm, very focused. I've practiced meditation techniques for many years, and I've done biofeedback for many years. And when you've done it day after day after day, month after month, year after year, it becomes part of you and you can very quickly take a few deep breaths, focus yourself and get yourself in the zone. I had a situation some years ago, I think I wrote about it in the book, where my wife and I were traveling south on Route 81, Interstate 81 from Syracuse toward New York. And we noticed, it was very early in the morning, and we noticed a car kind of swerving in the road and it went off the road and tumbled over an embankment and rolled over right in front of us. There's no other cars on the road. And so I immediately pull over and I hold on to the steering wheel just for a moment. And I take a couple of deep breaths and I totally get myself into a zone. I walk down to where this these people are screaming that are inside a car. And I uh, talk them down and assess whether they're hurt and am able to call for help. But I did it in a very calm, deliberate, focused manner. I got back into the car and I was shaking like a leaf because of what I could have observed or how bad, how bad it could have been. But what had happened was I had practiced those techniques so often they kicked in automatically. And so I was able to respond as an emergency responder. I was able to respond effectively uh, through that self-control. And I think that can happen in our trading. So 
I, I'm not sure we ever get rid of fear and greed. I'm not sure we ever repeal human emotional responses, but we can quickly intercept those and bring ourselves into the zone. Those exposure methods I mentioned in the third point can be very helpful for that. So we can visualize situations in which we feel particular fear or particular greed and visualize vividly how we would want to respond to those. Watch ourselves in our mind's eye dealing with those situations and how we would talk to ourselves in those situations. Imagine practicing that five times, 10 times, 20 times, 50 times, again and again and again and again. Eventually, that repetition makes it part of you so that when those things happen in real life, you can respond in the way that you visualized rather than simply be reactive to the fear and greed. I think that that's a fantastic point, and that's something that we do a lot in NLP, for example. Most people, when they visualize, if they visualize at all, they only visualize the winning scenario because they want to have a positive attitude or, or whatever. But the reality is, 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 like you said, in order to be able to deal with these situations when they come up, you need to visualize, you go in there and visualize and feel what you're going to be feeling and then tell your mind what you want it to do when that thing yes. happens, so that you, it becomes automatic when it happens. So I just think that was a great point you brought up. Yes. I have to say, you know, at, at several firms where I've worked, we've conducted research about what makes traders successful. And one of the interesting findings is that uh, traders with very positive risk-adjusted returns, so traders with high sharp ratios, are really different than traders with high absolute returns. And one of the things we found was that Traders with the good risk-adjusted returns, which means that they're making a good amount of money per unit of risk that they're taking, they almost never do the positive visualizations. Thinking positively is completely alien to them, that they are constantly scanning for what could go wrong. They're constantly scanning for threats in the environment, and that makes them uh, particularly good at risk management, which is why they have uh, good risk-adjusted returns. Right, right. That's helpful. I mean, personally, I, I mean, I, I do think it's good to have a, a positive mindset in general, so that you you take the trades. But you do have to make, especially in trading, you have to be aware of the risks when you're doing something risky. So, yeah, yeah. The, sometimes what what I'll say to people is, it's not a matter of being positive or negative, but being constructive. In, in other words, things could go wrong, and you openly acknowledge things could go wrong. But here's how I would deal with them, and uh, particularly for the people who are uh, the good risk managers. They, they want to respond constructively to the negative scenarios that often do play themselves out in financial markets. That's super. You know, great advice. We have another similar question, which is what is the best way to overcome the fear or of loss that causes us to deviate from our plan? And, you know, if you don't mind, I'd just like to interject something there. And, you know, one thing that I talk to a lot of traders about, because we're not, I don't usually deal with banks and institutions like you do. I deal with retail traders. And sometimes the fears they have of loss are very legitimate because they're doing something that maybe isn't uh, all that smart. So I think part of, the, part of the thing you need to look at when you have a fear is to actually look at your procedure and see if you're actually doing something you should be afraid of. What do you think? Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point, and uh, it's funny you mention that because I was having a conversation with a trader just earlier today on this very topic, and sometimes our, our feelings are gut feelings that are valid. They're intuitions, and sometimes there are good reasons to be afraid, uh, and that we first intuit a dangerous situation before we specifically identify the source of that danger. 
So I agree with you, emotions can be information. You know, this gets us back to that topic of mindfulness, because when you find yourself feeling the fear, you don't want to act on it, and you don't want to obliterate it. What you want to do is step back and get yourself into observer mode and ask yourself, where is this fear coming from? Is it because I've had three prior losing trades in a row and I'm afraid of losing? Or am I sensing something in the marketplace that isn't quite right? So for instance, I recall a situation where a trader felt some fear and got out of their position because they sensed that correlations across various markets were shifting, that markets that had been trading relatively independently now all of a sudden were moving in concert. And that told them that regimes were shifting. It was a very subtle recognition, but very important, and helped them get out of the way of a risk-off trade. So that was a case where fear really was information. But there are other times where you can step back and say, wait a minute. You know, has the world really changed? Is there any reason, objectively, why I should get out of this position? Or am I just reacting to previous losses? And so by stepping back and observing yourself, it gives you a degree of control over how you'll respond to that fear. Wow, that's excellent, excellent advice there. Okay, let's see here. When I started trading, I knew oh, if nothing. I just jump, if I could just jump oh, in yes, with one additional one. of the things I have uh, my portfolio managers do often is at the time they put the trade on, they have to outline A, B, C, D, E, what are the foreseeable situations that would get you out of that trade or that would have you uh, reducing your risk in that trade. And you lay out all the foreseeable scenarios, so news events, uh, you know, central bank developments, uh, price action, whatever the foreseeable events that would get you to change your mind, you have to lay that out in advance. And so then when you feel fear during the lifespan of the trade, you go back to that list and you say, wait a minute, have any of these things occurred? Has the world really changed? And if one of your criteria has not triggered, then that can act as a break for acting on uh, automatically on that fear. Right. That's an absolutely fantastic comment. And you know, when we train traders, we tell them you shouldn't. Most traders have you know their reasons to exit. I hit my profit target. I hit my maximum loss. The reality is you should have many, many, many exit reasons to exit. And you know what you're saying yeah. is, it fits right in with that. Nice. Let's see. When I started trading, I knew nothing. Wrong teachers, wrong ideas, bad trading, lost a lot of money. Now I know better, but having problems pulling the trigger because of fear of loss. So that's kind of in the form of a comment, but I, we can, I guess, uh, talk about that idea. Yeah, you know, this is really unfortunate. It happens so often. Okay, so in addition to working with traders, I teach in a medical school in Syracuse, Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. And for 19 years, I taught full-time in a medical school, and now I'm on a part-time basis as clinical faculty. So I'm involved in teaching medical students to become you know, physicians. And, and residents, I'm teaching them to specialize in their field. Uh, I'm in a department of psychiatry. You know, so you can imagine, let's translate that question into uh, medical education terms. So 
John, if you could read the first part of that question to me. Yes, let me read the first card of the comment. I'll, I'll do it again. When I started trading, I knew nothing. Wrong teachers, wrong ideas, bad okay. trading, lost right, a lot of money. Okay, can we freeze it there? Sure. When I first started trading, I knew nothing. Okay, so a very open acknowledgement from the trader, which I like. Okay, imagine in the medical education context, when I first started doing surgery, I knew nothing. I mean, really, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> you know, see what I'm saying? No, no, truly, truly. I mean, you, you know, and, and we're trying to be objective here. You know, so that's the problem is too often we start trading before we've gone through our developmental process. You would never start doing medicine without going through the proper developmental process, right? You, know, you would never start flying an airplane before you had gone through the proper educational process and training. But often we start trading and we have bad teachers and we don't know anything and we create psychological harm to ourselves. And I think the questioner is being very observant, you know, is, is, is being perceptive in recognizing the damage that that can create. And so what you want to do is get back to basics. And I've had this in my own trading where I will be out of sync with the market and I'll start trading very, very, very small. You know, it's sort of like uh, the physicians say, above all else, do no harm. I'll start trading very small. Sometimes I'll even paper trade and I'll get my feel back and I'll learn what I've been missing. And gradually my confidence starts to come back, my perception, my, my uh, recognition of opportunity comes back, and then I'm able to resume the trading. But uh, I would encourage traders to not be afraid of always, of always returning to student mode. Markets change, and as they change, we sometimes get out of sync with markets. And it's easy to go through losses. It's easy to damage ourselves psychologically. Uh, when we recognize that we're not in sync with markets, to be able to accept that and go back to doing the learning process the right way. So for the person who started trading before they knew anything and, and when they had bad teachers, I would say now is the time to start as a true beginner with good teachers and with gradual experience and, and build your confidence from the ground up. Uh, and being humble in that fashion uh, by accepting the student role, I think you move yourself forward developmentally. I think that's a great point. <laughs> I mean, he's being awful hard on himself, expecting to go in and be a trader. And unfortunately, that's the... That's the a mindset or, or the frame that most people put around trading. They come in, they're going to buy a black box and be rich, and then they beat themselves up, and it doesn't really happen that way. So. Yeah, you know, trading is a lot easier to do if you don't need, with a capital N, to make money. Uh, and, and I think it's that need to make money and that need to make money quickly uh, that oftentimes burdens traders. It makes them take too much risk for their account size and... Uh, that ends up damaging them psychologically. And, and so I, you know, when I, the traders I work with, uh, the portfolio managers, uh, you know, if they're up 10% on a year, that's a really good year. And so if, and they're professionals, yeah. right? And I got guys coming in expecting to make 130% in a year with no experience. Yes. 
So that's, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, I think it's important to put those things into context. And and so what I try to focus traders on are more the metrics. You know, what's your batting average, successful trades uh, uh, versus unsuccessful trades? What's your average win size, lose size? What's your sharp ratio? Sortina ratio, and, and try to get people to focus on the metrics rather than the absolute P&L, because many times the need to make money pushes people to take too much risk, and then they lose too much money, and it damages them psychologically, makes it harder to take risks. Right. Not only that, it's creating bad habits, and, and that's even worse. So, Okay, so uh, here's a question. How many days does it take to change a bad habit? For example, 90 days for alcoholics. Question mark. Oh, 90 days for alcoholics. That's great. That's great. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, back in the day, I used to go to open AA meetings when I worked at a community mental health center in, in Portland, New York. And, uh, and what we used to do is have people go to 90 AA meetings in 90 days, uh, which I love. I, I guess it's a great approach because you do something for 90 days and you will gradually internalize that. As they say in AA, bring the body and the mind will come. So I like that question a whole lot. Um, the, and I think that's the right approach. Uh, I know Tony Robbins has sometimes said, do things the same exact way every day for a month, and it becomes part of you. Yeah, I, I think that general reasoning is true, that you want to create a routine and do it for a number of days, not just a few days. And by making it a routine, it starts to feel natural. So whether it's a month, whether it's three months, uh, I'm not quite sure of the exact amount of time, but I will say this, that if you're doing it the same way at the same time, all the time, that quickly, within a month or so, it really starts to become part of you, and you don't feel right if you're not doing it. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning. You don't feel right if you haven't done that. Uh, it's become such a routine. Right, right. Okay, so let's see. We just have a lot of questions here. So uh, comment, well, I guess this is a question, but fear of making an adjustment you know you should make. That's all we said, but we'll, uh, I guess we could put that into a question. What do you do about yeah, that? Yeah, so, so fear of change. You know, whenever we change, we're, going, we're pushing our comfort zone. Well, we, we can never grow if we don't push our comfort zone, but, but it's always uncomfortable. So uh, there is going to be that fear. So I think the questioner is being perceptive here. Well, I think and, it's, it's, the, it's actually in the format or, or the frame of, which I should have framed it better, of making an adjustment on a trade. So we, we put, you know, we, we're not it's just long or short. We are in market neutral conditions, and we might make an adjustment on a trade, or it may come up against our trading plan. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think that the adjustment to a trade is like adjustments we would make to our trading. It's the, the issue is making changes and feeling comfortable versus feeling fearful of making changes. And again, the practice element is very important here. So I learned that skill of adjusting the trades first again with small size and in practice trading and then gradually grow my risk taking. Uh, so that it becomes more and more a part of me. Those exposure methods that I mentioned can be very, very helpful. So you're going to, before the market opens, you're going to visualize making those adjustments while you keep yourself very calm and very focused. 
And you repeat that and you repeat that and you repeat that. So when it's time to make the adjustment, you've already mentally been there, done that. And that makes it much easier to act and overcome any fear. Sometimes that fear takes the form of negative thought processes of, you know, oh, if I do this, what if it goes against me or what if I end up not making money? Uh, and so that's where some of those strategies for changing thought patterns can be very, very useful because you intercept your negative thinking and make a conscious effort to talk to yourself in a constructive way. So a frame that I often have put people, uh, I have often have people take with this is imagine you are mentoring a junior trader who you care a lot about. And they are in this situation of being fearful about making a change in their, their trade, adjusting their trade. How would you talk to them? How would you mentor them? Because that's the conversation you want to have with yourself. And many, 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 many times, traders know how to talk to other people. They are sensitive human beings. Um, they're just not always accustomed to talking to themselves in that way. So that's a great frame to put things on and, and to practice through cognitive techniques. It is, it is. And, you know, maybe another comment on that is if they're fearing making an adjustment, you know, I would put out there that they're possibly focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on their profit and loss rather than their process, which could be right. pretty detrimental as well. Exactly, yes, good point. Okay, when trading and you miss your entry point, I feel bad and sometimes force myself to take another trade that's completely irrelevant. That, that's a great example of the negative thought patterns. And so one of the negative thought patterns that affects many traders is what I call perfectionism. Uh, you know, that you miss an entry point and so now you're down on yourself and now you're trying to get rid of that feeling of frustration with yourself and so you're getting into another trade to somehow erase that frustration. And, and so that's a great situation where you miss the entry, you feel the frustration, and you quickly step back from that situation rather than continue trading. You step back from that situation, identify what is my thought process, and get to a point where you can accept, hey, sometimes I'm not going to buy the low or sell the high. Sometimes I'm not going to get the exact entry point, and that's okay. I can live with myself. It doesn't mean I'm an unsuccessful person, an unsuccessful trader. Let's go back to square one and see what new opportunities we see. So you are actively intercepting your negative thought process and replacing it with a more constructive one. As I mentioned in the outline, sometimes using a journal to do that can be very, very helpful as a way of building the positive habit pattern. Nice, nice. Okay, so next question is here, not sure when to take a profit when trade is in the positive territory. I always have the feeling that the move will move further, but most of the time I end up taking a lesser profit. This past experience affects my objectivity in the next trades when the same thing happens again. But right now I am happier to book profits earlier because the market didn't move further. If I if it would, I would feel disappointed. Yeah, 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 and, and I think it is it is disappointing. You know, when we take a premature profit, uh, you know, we look in retrospect and, and see what we left on the table. Uh, and I think that's why some plans that traders create 
is to take profits in stages. They'll take off a piece of their position at one level, and then they'll let it go to another level and take off another piece and so forth and so on. And that's one way of addressing that. What I like to do in my trading that may or may not be relevant to your trading uh, is I like to be very aware of the volatility of the market I'm trading and what is the average move size in the expected holding period and what's the average variability in that move size around that holding period. So you can identify for any holding period in a given volatility level what move is one standard deviation above normal, what move is two standard deviations above normal. And what that allows you to do is, in fact, I have that uh, graphed, uh, charted regularly on my screen. And so what that allows you to do is say this thing is stretched. And once we are X standard deviations above normal, we've moved X standard deviations above a normal move, uh, trees don't grow to the sky. And it's prudent to take some profits. Now, could trees grow taller? Yes, absolutely. But if you have some rules that work for you, and particularly that you've back-tested, then that gives you some confidence in your decision-making, and it also gives you some basis of objectivity for your decision-making. What you don't want to be doing is lapsing into that perfectionistic mindset where you take profits and then beat yourself up if the market moves further, or you fail to take profits and the market re, uh, returns to its original level. You don't want to be beating yourself up over those things. You want to have these rules set in advance. If you're making decisions about taking profits on the fly, I think you're basically screwed. I think you want to have those decisions made in advance as much as possible based on criteria that make sense to you and that have worked for you. That is exactly what I was going to say, Brett. That question is a symptom of poor planning. They should have known ahead of time when, when to get out. They should not be making decisions on the fly like that. So I, I agree with you 100% there. So, yeah, yeah. I, it's, and it's something that can, you, you can use some uh, statistics on. I find it's um, really helpful. Well, you have to because you can't be scooting out of trades early. If you scoot out of every trade early, you won't be able to cover your losses when you have them, right? And yeah. you have to have a reasonable profit number. Otherwise, you're, you're just never going to reach it. So I think, like you said, that's a matter of back testing, knowing what the market's doing, seeing what the cycles are, and determining before you go in where you're going to, you know, the situation yeah. in which you're going to pull out. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that uh, I always find uh, slightly annoying is where people, traders, lament, quote-unquote, choppy markets. You know, the, the markets aren't really moving. They're just chopping back and forth. And typically what that means is that the trader is expecting a higher level of um, trending and a higher level of volatility than the market is actually affording. So what it's really saying is that the trader is not adapting to market conditions. And so I think it's worth figuring out what market conditions are and figuring out how you'll adapt to that uh, by setting reasonable targets and reasonable stop points. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Sounds good. All right, so let's see. Any thoughts or on routines for focusing on the trade process rather than always focusing on the result or, or whether you made money or not? 
Yeah, two thoughts. Uh, one is through mental rehearsals of process, and many traders I work with keep checklists uh, as a way of monitoring how well they're following their process, and, and so that keeps them process focused rather than P&L focused exclusively. Uh, I think that's very, very helpful. So they'll keep those checklists, and then if they haven't done a great job of following the process, then they quickly identify why, and they make improvements the next day. It's, it's part of that ongoing deliberate practice and, and learning effort. So that I find is really useful, the creating checklists based on your best practices, what you do when you are successful, and turning that, those, pro, those best practices into your processes. The second thing, as far as not focusing on P&L, is I always encourage people, traders, to have something in their lives that is more important to them than trading. And I get it, people talk about having a passion for markets, a passion for trading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not a big fan of that stuff, but people talk about it. That's great if you love it, but it's always helpful to have something more important in your life than trading because then you are diversified in your life the way you would optimally like to be diversified in an investment portfolio. You have many different things that bring you happiness and fulfillment and energy and connectedness. And so during the inevitable periods of drawdown, it sucks. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's no way around it. You're, you're an achievement-oriented person. You don't like losing. Of course it's not going to feel good, but it's buffered by the fact that you have many other aspects of your life that are providing you with positive experience. So one way of being process-focused and not focusing too much on P&L is to have many sources of profit in your life that are non-financial profits that, that are the things we gain in life through our relationships, through our personal activities. Great. You know, one of the things that I recommend people do is to find a process of reviewing your trades where you reward yourself for following the process and you punish yourself for not following the process, regardless mm -hmm. of the if the trade made money or not. Right. It's a way of separating P&L from process. Yes, that's a very good idea. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's see what we got here. Well, first, a quick one. Is there one of your books that covers all this material? Oh, wow. All this material. I think if I had written a book that covers all the material, I wouldn't have needed to write several books. Uh, but that being said, the uh, Daily Trading Coach book is a kind of cookbook of psychological techniques. And I think if you're looking for a single source of techniques that you can use for different psychological situations in the trading, that one of the ones I've written would be the most relevant. Okay. Okay, great. But if you go on to my uh, blog, the traderfeed.blogspot.com, if you Google TraderFeed and the topic you're, in for, you're interested in, you'll probably find some blog posts on that topic that might be useful. Okay, good. And here's, a, here's his website right here. I just put that up. And there's a picture yeah, the of the Daily Create Trading Coach. Okay, so we'll do maybe one more. And... Uh, let's see, uh, this is a, a long one. Let's see how good it is. <laughs> I'm at a stage where I try to teach myself to stick to mechanical guidelines. When it comes to adjusting, the adjustment trigger typically occurs at the worst time to execute. For example, the market falls and I have to roll down spreads. So I get into these conversations with myself. Do I chase the market or force execution? 
i.e. trade mechanically or wait for the timing to adjust at better time, at better terms. How do I reconcile with these thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what I like to do is create rules around my best trading. And my best trading means that I am studying myself as a trader and studying my successful trading. And so, out of that successful trading, we can develop some rules about how to best manage positions when they're going against us and so forth and so on. Again, if you're making those decisions on the fly, it's often the case that they end up being reactive decisions made in the heat of the moment. So what you want to do is have some rules and guidelines that tell you what to do when. And sometimes, if you're managing a difficult situation, those rules will kick in at the most challenging times, but that's what they're meant to do. And you don't want to, again, get caught up in that uh, negative internal conversation, that perfectionism, that would have you beating up on yourself. The general rule here is the successful traders study themselves as much as they study markets. They study their successful trading, their less successful trading, and they're able to figure out what they do when they are successful. Okay, awesome. That so, is, so for is... instance, I'll give, a, I'll give a concrete example. I trade the S&P uh, futures. So to get out of a trade, what does not work for me is setting a, a, a price stop. That, that absolutely does not work for me. What works for me is that I keep track of the upticks and the downticks of every listed NYSE stock many times per minute. So it's a, very, it's a high frequency measure. And I can see when the balance of upticks versus downticks is shifting, when that distribution is shifting during the course of the day. And as soon as I see a shift in the distribution before it has hit my downside uh, or any reasonable downside, I, I'm getting out of the position. And that works for me because that's a criterion that makes sense to me. I'm trying to ride flows in the market. And if there's a shift in the flows against me, then I want to be quickly responsive to that. Right. And I don't know if the, if the questioner is referring to this or not, but sometimes we do, like I said, longer-term market-neutral trades, and we have these adjustment points. And I try to make my – in other words, I have a range – First of all, I have a fairly conservative adjustment point, and I wait for a certain time of day in order to make that adjustment so that I'm not mm -hmm. trying to make the adjustment when pricing is going against me. So that's phase one, right? I have three phases. That's phase one. Phase two is, okay, the market's going against me. I kind of really, really should do something now, but I'm going to give it some time and wait to see if I get a market bounce in order to make that adjustment. Because what maybe mm -hmm. some people do is they see the adjustment, it comes up, and then the market bounces and they say, oh, I'm not going to have to do it now. And then they wait till the market comes down again to try to force it again, which is right. not very helpful. And then the third one is, you know what, I have to do something now at all costs. I'm just going to go ahead and get it done. So I think having something like that and planning it out in advance might be helpful. Yes, yes. Uh, and that could be mapped out in advance. Uh, I could imagine a little decision tree, for instance, that a trader might develop for when they make the adjustments and why. I think that could be very useful. Right, right. Awesome. Well, I think we are out of time, my friend, and I, I thank you for, for coming on with us and, and giving us uh, your insight here. It was, uh, it was wonderful. 
Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be together and want to wish all of you uh, good luck in your trading. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and we'll be in touch. Good. Have a very good night, everyone. Good night.